From the banks of Dewey Lake, it's the Dewey Pod Monster. Alright, welcome back. My name is John and this is the Dewey Pod Monster Podcast. This is a special episode of this podcast because this is the 50th episode of this podcast. With me this week is the authority on Michigan craft beer. His name is Sean. And Sean, how are you doing today? 50. 50 episodes lo- old. Long, old. Can you believe it? Almost a year. Almost a year. <laughs> I have a WWE match going on, like you mentioned, in the room above my head right now. Is it the Ultimate Warrior? It's the Ultimate Warrior and Sting. I hear a lot of uh, turnbuckle shaking. Maybe so it's I'm George Animal Steel eating the be. turnbuckle. Possibly. That's also See, I was thinking of when Warrior would shake the ropes and coca- cocaine out. Yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? What have you been watching? Oh, my God. The hits. <laughs> they keep coming. I oh, watched you too? Yeah, I watched a lot of stuff. I So, you know, last week we talked about Roofball. I talked about Roofball. I sent you the video. It's in the that show notes. That video is amazing, by the way. That is, I, I need to watch. I need more. Yeah, you got to watch it. It's all on the channel. So, the, so there's been some updates. So, I watched another year. Uh, I watched 2009, the first part. When I was watching it, found a little bit of a news brief. Because of all the, I don't know, like, how this got spread. I saw it on on a subreddit, on the Obscure Media subreddit. And I guess a, a lot of other people from a lot of different places saw it. The video for 2008, the first part, they, they said in, like, three weeks or something, the video has gotten 400,000 views, which, going before that, probably had, like, 400 views. And they don't, uh-huh. they don't know like why it's getting so popular. So they made, they posted a new, they changed the logo on their channel. Now it's the RFA, the Roofball Association. They are going to possibly live stream the championship for 2023. They're still doing it. I thought they only did it till 2013 because the website was only updated through 2013. They're going to possibly broadcast live and they're going to start putting out new videos and maybe bring do like where are they now and you know all the people that were champs in the past it's a cool thing uh, i watched the last of us the newest one for that yeah you've seen dodgeball i assume right yes so i always loved the idea of espn 8 the ocho and roofball seems like it would be a perfect addition to the ocho and i know they like every it seems like once or twice a year they do a weekend of the ocho on there with all kinds of weird stuff but I don't understand why this can't be its own channel, like a real channel. Yeah, for sure. They have a subreddit for the Ocho, and it's just all these crazy sports. And I think Roofball actually showed up on there, too. I watched The Last of Us. Like I said, I'm still keeping up with that. The I think episode five was on. Big news. Big, big, big news. I noticed today, I didn't know this, the A&E WWE biography series started season three. And guess, can you, I'm going to give you two guesses as to what episode or season three, episode one was about. Well, they haven't done Hulk Hogan yet, but I feel like that wouldn't be the lead off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess someone from the Attitude Era. So they haven't done The Rock yet. I'm going to say him. You were close with the first guess. They did NWO. Okay. So they did the whole NWO the whole thing. saga. Yeah. And basically I read a book, believe it or not, there is a 600 page wrestling book called Nitro, The Rise and Fall of WCW, <laughs> and I read it, and okay. it, it is like the longest book 
it just felt like it lasted forever. So I, it, I read the book and it has a lot of the same stuff. It, it covers more stuff because it's all about WCW, but this biography covers so much. You know, you could just sit down. It's an hour and a half or whatever without the commercials. One other thing I wanted to mention, because we do record on a Monday and today is President's Day. And I worked until about two o'clock and I realized everybody on Teams was out of the office or away from their desk. And then I realized it was a company holiday today. So, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. I just worked the rest of the day. I was like, whatever. Do you get paid holiday pay for it? Like no. holiday overtime? No. Or... Oh, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could have slept in. I woke up at about two minutes before I was supposed to be on the clock. But yeah, so that, that's what I did. How about you, John? What did you do to celebrate our 50th, aniver- 50th anniversary, 50th episode? 50th anniversary would be a whole different, I think we'd be a little bit grayer by that point. Yeah, I don't have much more to go gray. Uh, you got plenty. Well, I didn't do anything fun as far as celebrating the episode itself, but I watched a bunch of crap this week, so that that's usually good. So I started watching the, the last two or the new episodes of South Park, and gotta say, I wasn't, so... South Park's hitting this weird spot where they always have like, what do they do, like 20 episodes a season, something like that? Yeah, maybe something like that. I feel like they usually have like four or five real good episodes in a season and the rest kind of feel like filler. And these first two, for the most part, kind of feel like filler. I'm kind of over the Eric Cartman is like some form of Hitler jokes. Like, I don't, I don't feel like that's been funny in a while. I did like the Canadian version of Prince Harry and his wife, Megan, Megan, whatever she yeah, is. Yeah, Megan, yep. I thought that was just funny how they looked as Canadians, but the episode as a whole was nothing special. I loved the the Megan and Harry episode. I thought it was great. I thought it had moments. It was definitely better than the first episode. But I, um, This is the only one I watched so far, and I cannot stand those two, and I don't want to hear about it. I, I was like Kyle the whole time. That's how I felt. And when he started ignoring them and they were losing, well, Harry was losing his yeah. shit. That, I thought that was just just great. I thought that was just super appropriate. Yeah. No, it, well, that's kind of where South Park shines is although they're about as ridiculous as any show that's on TV, they have a really good barometer of like how to tackle current issues or current topics, I guess. And it, it hit the it hit the ball with that. So, I mean, I can't really say anything negative there. I just think as a whole, like, I didn't find myself laughing at either of those two episodes the way that I have it. Some of the ones that I really remember more, like they both feel like episodes that are relatively f- forgettable for me. As usual, you're wrong. That's fine. I'm used to it. Darn. It's 50 episodes in. Why would I start being right now? <laughs> That's right. So <laughs> then I watched uh, Nightmare Weekend, which was dumb, but moderately entertaining. So Nightmare Weekend, are you familiar with this or no? Sounds familiar, but I'll feign ignorance. So you can tell me about it. Why don't you just tell me about the movie you want to tell me about? The short version of it is it's a trauma movie. So there you go. Some computer is ran by some puppet and some chick. And essentially there's these metal balls they put in people's mouth and then they die. I don't really, I I actually, I rarely like write reviews on things or write down things anywhere. But I think I wrote like a one sense review of what the fuck am I watching? (laughs) Is what I wrote for this. But it's got a couple like comedically bad moments in of well death and sex really so it's what it is kind of powered through a bunch of rock of love episodes which not, i know you're familiar with this but for anyone home if you're not familiar with it is a 2007 dating show from vh1 featuring the lead singer of poison brett michaels 
And it is every bit of cringe that you would think it is. And the I, I did write a note on this just because I kind of write down what I like want to talk about through the week so I don't forget. And the only thing I wrote was, why am I watching this? I wanted to talk, let me get this straight. I wanted to talk about uh, Rock of Love. So let me, let me write down some notes about it. Sounds perfect, but I can't really talk because I'm seriously considering subscribing to Paramount Plus so I can watch season two and season four of The Real World from like 1993. So I don't really have much much of a leg to stand on. I mean, you know, sometimes you just need a horrible television to kind of laugh at because it's horrible. And this this show is... I, I think at one point, I, go, I think this guy's an actual sexual predator. Like, the way he's talking about these women and, like, what he's trying to get them to do for this show. And I'm sure a lot of that's just, like, whoever the pr- producer was, was like, make all the girls run around in the mud in bikinis and say something, like, really cool about it. And he just comes off like a total 90s creep that was in the band Poison. The only other thing I've really been watching this week is I kind of delve back into It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I think I just wanted something funny that I actually like. So... So I ended up on that, and that show still makes me laugh out loud on a pretty regular basis, so I'm I'm happy to be watching that. It's great, and it probably will always be great. That's all I really got, though. Fun stuff, right? We had an action-packed week then. Lots of stuff. Yeah, lots of stuff. I, I'm glad to hear that wrestling thing's back on, though, because that I will I will go out of my way to try to watch that. So yeah, It's a good way to kill a, I don't know, hour and a half every week. It's kind of something to yep. look forward to, because... All the topics you're kind of familiar with, if you're if you're the age that we are, you know, if you were even on the fringes of wrestling, and it's kind of interesting to hear the background of maybe, oh, what happened to that guy, or how did mm-hmm. that story go? What is that all about? Especially when they're not dead, yeah, which seems to be a common occurrence with these guys too. But well, yeah, they had Scott Hall had a lot of stuff about. They had interviews with him, but it, oh, they sure. were obviously old ones, and we were watching it. And my wife was kind of sitting and watching it a little bit at a time, and she's like. How come his are like in a different setting? I'm like, oh, he died. <laughs> He's been dead for a while, so they couldn't probably talk to him. Yeah. But I think between that and like the dark side of the ring and which hopefully will come back soon, we just had all this media, you know, all this great stuff about that era of wrestling. It's been really pretty cool. Yeah. And I do need to start getting into The Last of Us because I got a feeling that's going to be what we have to cover pretty much right as we come out of crummy movie March, because if they're on episode five or six right now, something like that, yeah, that's probably going to wrap up right around the time we get through that crummy movie marathon, I guess it is. Yeah, just a reminder to the audience, March, this is the last episode for February, so the next episode that you hear after 50, which is the stars aligned and everything, we knew, yep. we planned this for months. Absolutely. When we come back <laughs> after this episode, it'll be crummy movies and i have some stuff to torture the hell out of you so i'm so excited about that torture me or torture the people who are listening oh to i mean part of it's going to be you yeah and i, I won't even okay. t- i'm not i won't even tell you what what some of these i mean we have four movies it's only four movies so some of them are fun things that i want to see and one of them is one of them that i picked i feel like is going to be a bit of a slog but it's it's going to be worth it i mean that just this is just revenge for terrifier and killer clowns which means you're gonna have to watch terrifier 2 at some point that's so. fine it's yeah. for the listeners it's for the listeners it's what we do it for yeah. we do it because we love you that's so. right the things we do for love speaking of the thing we so the being a 50th episode of being kind of a landmark episode we decided to not watch a shitty movie this week which is kind of weird we'll be doing that um, next week yeah well we'll we'll be doing that often and i Let's not act like we're not going to go back to the well. But we went a little bit different route this week, and we decided to kind of pull out a a title as opposed to the usual, like, 
D minus stuff that we kind of troll around. We're going to be talking about the 1982, I'm going to go ahead and call it a classic movie, The Thing. Currently the 740th ranked movie out of question mark. Down from 60, oh, down 66 points. Never mind, whatever. I still feel like not knowing out of how many this like ranking thing is, 740 for a movie that is, I was going to say for a 30 year old movie that doesn't have any real thing around it right now like 40. there's no what 40 year old movie 40 god i'm bad yeah You're right. i mean it makes you feel really old but yes yeah but i mean there's nothing like there's no like recent anniversary on it like as far as i know no one in this cast died recently or at least no one of note in the cast died recently so i feel like 740 out of question mark is pretty good for a movie that's that old with in comparison real quick our initial little blurb about what this movie is about is this is a movie about a research team in Antarctica that is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. This is directed by John Carpenter, widely known to be John Carpenter's favorite movie that he's directed, and it stars Kurt Russell, Wilfred Brimley, Diabetes, and Keith David. You want to try to tackle this lengthy summary or storyline before we go into a little bit more on this movie? A U.S. research station, Antarctica, <laughs> early winter, 1982. The base is suddenly buzzed by a helicopter from the nearby Norwegian research station. They're all trying... Oh, crap. <laughs> they're not Swedish. That's true. Yeah, they're not Swedes. They're trying to kill a dog that has escaped from their base. After the destruction of the Norwegian chopper, the members of the U.S. team fly to the Norwegian base, only to discover them dead or missing. They do find the remains of a strange creature the Norwegians burned. The Americans take it to their base and deduce that it is an alien life form. I don't know if they ever actually deduce that. I got some got some arguments against this. But anyways, after a while it is apparent that the alien can take over and assimilate into other life forms, including humans, and can spread like a virus. This means that anyone at the base could be inhabited by the thing. And tensions escalate. Care of grants. Two S's. I, I don't like, I don't know if, I mean, it's concise, but I feel like, I feel like this the, just told you everything. With, I feel like with this one, the plot line, like the little one sentence blurb I read is a better lead in if you don't want to know what happened. Right. I mean, so. it doesn't tell you everything because that's what we're no. here to do, but <laughs> it tells you a whole lot. It does. I guess we'll say it's spoiler warning for whoever needs it for this 41 one. year old movie. That's a remake of a 1951, I believe. I thought, it was uh, a, I thought it was like a 30s movie. I think the book was from the 30s. Oh, okay. Yeah, 1951. The, the thing from another um, world. Yeah. In so, another world. You got the trailer voice out for this one. I like it. Yep. So where do we want to start with this? Like, how do we, how do we get going here? Wait, let's just, I guess, talk about Carpenter as a whole, because this is the follow-up to Escape from New York, which is a 1981 movie. Kurt Russell. This was his star. first major studio film, too. And it looks like night and day better. I mean, I'm sure the budget was a lot bigger, but this thing looks like, I think it looks top notch. It's like a huge step okay. up from 1980, from, from Escape from New York. I'm going to, so I agree with you that it looks top notch, but I, I don't think it's a dramatic step up from New York because it's a different like feel altogether oh, yeah. from that movie. Like night and day. I mean, one is literally yeah. almost exclusively takes place at night and this one's in the in snow so it's constantly over bright what this movie does so well well amongst many things that i'm sure we'll get to but one of the things it does so well and it's really one of the things that carpenter does so well is he really pulls you into the environment of the film like 
this movie when I, I I don't like watching this movie in summer because I don't feel like it fits. Like I, I want it to be, you know, it is February right now, but I want it to be like February and like negative 40. And I kind of want to like feel like I'm part of that environment. I almost like when I say I get chills from this movie, not in like a I'm scared way, but in like a, oh, I feel I feel like I need a blanket kind of way or something. And even though if you look at like how the just like the tone of the movie, the colors that are used in it, just everything about it just makes it feel so cold and chilled through from start to finish. And I mean, it's one of the things that Carpenter is like really, really excels at and on every film that he does. But this one's kind of standout on it. He just nails that that mood from start to finish. And Carpenter is the master of tension, kind of keeping you on the, you know, on the wire, on the hook, right? He just, he reels it in, he lets it loose. He reels it in, he lets it loose. And it, the way that he does it, and I can't believe I'm making an analogy to fishing, but it's like a fisherman, you know, he like lets the, lets the, the catch wear itself out by, oh, it thinks it's getting away. You know, you get, the tension gets released a little bit and then he pulls it back in and you're fighting against it. And then by the end, you're just so beaten up with this movie and all the characters are as well, because they're just constantly in this tug of war between tension and no tension. And it, 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 it gets to the point at some points where almost the line phrase, but it never, it never, never totally does. There's always like this lifeline. Well, I mean, for the audience back into everything. So this is just another movie where he shows he knows how to pull at your at your strings to get the reaction that he's looking for. And I think that with the environment, like you said, with it being this is like a cold weather movie, it it that just adds to it. Like it's just another another element that he totally manipulates in the way you would want a movie like this to manipulate it. Absolutely. Like we've been trying to do, and I, I missed it the week before, but this week I, I put some feelers out to kind of get some feedback about this movie just from what other people think about it by other people and people who follow us. And this movie kind of got universal praise. Like this is one of the few movies I didn't get anyone who said really anything negative on it. I mean, almost universally, it was a lot of like, it's my favorite movie ever. This is Carpenter's best movie, you know, stuff like that. I'm not even going to get into how, like how we feel about that. That's that that's hot dog time when we get into that type of part. But it's kind of interesting because this is one of the few movies and, you know, it's interesting because it kind of bombed when it came out, but I feel like it, looking back, maybe this is just rose-colored glasses looking back on it, but this movie is oddly almost universally loved. Like, I can't think of someone, my, like, in recent times has been like, this movie is garbage, this movie is horseshit. It seems like it's pretty universally respected and held up as, like, a masterpiece of its time. Do we know what movies came out around the time that this was released? E.T.? The week before it came out. Yeah. And that was like the same. It was literally the week before. And that's what really killed it is that was still like crushing. I forget what the other movie was. There was another one that was like another kid's movie. And Siskel and Ebert like hated the shit out of this movie. They said it was just gore porn or something like I don't think they called it that. <laughs> but that's essentially what they called it. I don't think they ever uh, said the word porn on on, on a syndicated yeah, movie I bet show. they probably but, did. But yeah, maybe. I know the original... I remember it was the director or the writer of the book. He didn't like this movie because the gore was so over the top. And even some of the cast, like Diabetes, he didn't like it because he thought it was too effect, relying on the effects. And just for a second, Wilfred Brimley, he is, what number one, without a beard in this movie. He looks to be like the same age you would just expect him to be. He was 48 
in this movie. In 1982, he was 48 years old. He looks at least 60. He looks like he could be your great-grandfather. I love him swinging the axe around and being all pissed off, trashing like half the base. Like That's just thoroughly entertaining watching him just rage out through this movie. But yeah. he's actually one of the, I mean, I, one of the several things I wrote down is that he's pretty great in this movie. Like for a guy who I think Wilford, Wilford, I can never say his name right. I think, think of diabetes for three things. The diabetes commercials that we, that at least you and I saw probably ad nauseum when we were kids. I think it's hard target because he has this really goofy scene where he's riding a horse for, with like an entire forest exploding behind him. And it just looks ridiculous and goofy. And we'll probably talk about that in its own episode somewhere down, down, down the line. It's a good speech slip up. And then this movie. And this is the only, and I'm sure I haven't looked it up. I'm sure he's got a pretty extensive like acting resume. Oh yeah. But this is the only movie that I can think of him being in that I think he's actually legitimately great in. And I'm not claiming to be, I, you know, he's probably got like Oscar nominations. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he does. thinking of it or something. The Firm, but, he's probably Oscar nodded in The Firm. I can't believe he didn't bring yeah. up Quaker Oats. No. Okay. I forgot about that. He was that. like the Quaker See? Oats slappy. He was probably the guy that, he was so old, he probably modeled the Quaker on the front of it off of Wilford Bramley without a beard. I think he did have like a, for a while there, didn't they have his picture on the box I or bag know. or to whatever it was but anyway this is the, the movie Jemima of Quaker Oats is that what you're, you're trying much. to tell me <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this is the movie that like for him is he better in anything other than this like do you ever really hear him talked about by anyone he's great other the firm. than this movie I don't we I don't want to make this a retrospective of Wilford Brimley but in the firm when he is like <laughs> the security liaison or whatever for the firm for the law firm he's genuinely menacing and he gets the shit beat out of him with a briefcase, and that is just the best. Okay. Well, that's entertaining. Yeah. So, just watch um, that part. We might as well hang out on the cast for a minute. So, this is the, also Keith David's first real leading role. I'd say he's a lead in this, or yeah. pretty close to it. He's great in this. He's funny because, it's funny because he almost looks like, you forget how many things he, he's another one, you forget how much stuff he's in until you see him in this, and he's kind of one of those guys that you see pop up all over the place. And it's mostly because of this movie, similar to Kurt Russell and, and, and varying quality. Oh yeah. And for I, sure. I like that his character Childs is, they don't really give you much of a reason for you to have this idea about him, but he has this like air about him of having a hair trigger. You know, he's like, Oh, for short sure. temper. He's the, he's like, I don't know what any of the, the, I don't know if, how many of these people are supposed to be military. I mean, they're all scientists, right? Or for the most part, some, People play specific roles. You know, there's doctors, there's like the, the cook, there's Kurt Russell McCready is the pilot and, and Keith David seems like he's the, a security officer or something. That's, that's kind of the role. He seems a man at arms kind of position. Yeah, pretty much. I'd be, I, I got to talk about Kurt Russell because I think I said in the escape from New York episode, but he's one of my all around favorites, like in any movie. And he absolutely lives up to that in this movie. Like just everything about him. He just oozes that like, I like this guy, cool type attitude with him. He's kind of drunk through this entire movie, drinking, drinking cheap scotch and Coors, like from start to finish. He's podcasting at one point for some reason in the middle of this movie. And he's almost got this little edge of like, he's a little bit like crazy in this movie, but he also seems logical. You mentioned like something about them never really saying that this when they deduce that it's an alien life form or whatnot. You, I'm not sure that was kind of accurate, 
I, I don't know if they ever call it an alien at any point, like say that specifically, but they sure do kind of connect the dots pretty quick as to what's happening and, and how to, or at least how they think they're going to fight their way out of this and problem. I, and I do think that the McGreedy character, Kurt Russell, the hat is what makes him. He has a crazy hat. Side note with that, the current avatar for this show is heavily modeled off of Kurt Russell's character in The Thing. So if you're looking at this for probably at least the next couple weeks, until the weather breaks, our current squatchy looking dude is, again, heavily influenced from this movie. I don't know of any other show that changes their, 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 I don't know, album art or album cover based on the weather. So we've yeah, got, well, we're one-upping in 50 episodes, Everyone's any slacking. other podcasters. So fuck off, Clearly. podcasters. This movie basically <laughs> is like, it's like a who's who of that guy. Hey, it's that guy. The cast is, you can look down the line, and we're not going to mention all the roles that these people are in, but you can look at their faces, you watch the movie, and they're just like, oh, I've seen that guy, I've seen that guy. You know, it's just, you can't really place where you've seen him, but everybody it's is It's a lot of carpenter regulars. Yeah. You know, and that... That should be expected. I mean, that's what any of these, like, it seems like any great director has their, like, stable of actors that they tend to go back to on a regular basis, and I, I don't really have a problem with that at all. But every single one of them in this movie, like, there's no one in this movie that doesn't carry their weight as far as the performance that they get. Like, everyone is on their A-game for the entire duration of this almost two-hour movie. So, the other thing that got brought up since we're talking about the cast is there's a scene uh, near... I'd say near the beginning of the movie, which shows the do- at the aforementioned dog kind of wandering around the camp, and there's a scene where he wanders in, and there you just see a shadowy figure. So apparently, there's a debate as to what character is supposed to be the shadow in there. Have you heard about this? Other yeah. than when I brought it up to you, yeah. Well, let's, you have an opinion. So I there's do. an answer to it. I do have which, an opinion. Okay, so there is an answer to it. So give your opinion. I'll give my opinion, and then I'll answer what the what John Carpenter says, and I, I'm going to trust that he's right. Okay. Well, let's just let's just front this by saying the dog escapes, as we mentioned in the storyline, the dog escapes from the, from the Norwegian camp. The dog is basically the carrier for this organism, right? The thing. Because they call it, that's what they call it. They call it the thing. So the dog wanders in. It infects somebody. The shadow is supposed to represent the first person that it really comes in contact with that it infects, right? I mean, that's what we're going with. And... So that's just kind of the backstory. This is my this is my kind of feeling on that. We got the comment on Twitter. Who who mentioned the comment on Twitter? Who was it? The person who left the comment was Diabolical Pod. Uh, they also have a podcast, so you can check them out at diabolical diabolicalpod.com. Thanks for leaving the comment. So my opinion is when the shadow the shadow when the dog walks in, it could I th- I know it's probably supposed to be Norris. It could be Windows because the hair is fluffy. And when you first see the shadow, it really just is on the top. And when he turns his head, that's when he kind of looks like Norris. It's like the weirdest hairstyle ever, probably, that the person the actual, the person actually had. But, I mean, I think it's supposed to be intentionally ambiguous. I think it's fun to theorize who it is. But I don't think you're really even supposed to know. And I think the the fun of it is the debate, too. Like, I don't really have a big opinion other than to say, it doesn't really matter who it is. In my opinion, it's it it's somebody. And it it could be this person, it could be that person. That's kind of like, and, and I'll kind of talk about this, especially when I kind of wrap up my thoughts on the movie. But the amb- ambiguity is, I think, the part that gets you talking. It's, it's the fun part of it. It's not necessarily 
Who's right? Who's wrong? What does Carpenter say? Did you already know the answer to this question? I, after I thought about is. who this was, I did look it up. Okay. So for me, I actually never really put any thought into who it was. Like I, I didn't think it was because, you know, one of the things I wrote down is I wish I could go back to watching this movie without knowing what was coming. Yeah. Like being Super able to fresh. watch it with fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. Just with totally fresh eyes again. But I think every time that I've watched this, I always knew like whoever it is, they're going to die. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just kind of the, the thought process that I went into with it. So I never really put thought into who it was. The actual answer, and this is taking it from the IMDb trivia because that's clearly the most factual place. John Carpenter wanted to be a mystery of which character was involved. So he didn't use any of the actors involved to cast the actual shadow. So that's the actual answer. And I kind of agree with you. I, I think the mystery of it or the, as you said, the ambiguity of it. It plays right as it is. I don't think we ever really need a definite answer. It's fine being kind of the shadowy figure that goes crazy, I guess. But you didn't tell us who it actually was. It's some dude. It's stunt coordinator Dick Warlock. Oh, I didn't see that, <laughs> is it? Yeah, that's on That's on my go-to source for information, Wikipedia. Oh, also super, super reputable. Yeah, factual, 100% infallible. Let's just say it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. The infallible <laughs> Wikipedia.org. Absolutely. Clearly, one of the biggest things about this movie, too, is the effects. Like, I don't think, so this is probably going to be where we spend a good chunk of time on this episode because the effects are kind of the biggest selling point on this. They're clearly the most, all the most memorable scenes in this are kind of based around effects. I, where, where do we want to start on that? I just want to say, I think that this is one of those movies, depending on how old you were when you watched it, the effects have the, or maybe the state of mind. The the effects have the potential to really fuck with your head. Oh, for I sure. I mean, I know a few people that saw this that were either too young to see it or that were maybe under the influence of possible substances. I've been both. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this was the movie where they're like, oh my God, I watched this movie. I was high or I was on acid and I watched this movie. And somebody suggested, one of their probably, you know, sadistic friends suggested that they watch this movie and it just like, they couldn't. I don't know, take a shit or something for a week because they, you know, they were too afraid to go into the bathroom. Or well, I never had that problem, but <laughs> I, bl I blame the goddamn Swedes. I mean, <laughs> they fuck everything up for the rest of us. But yeah, this is just one of those like, I don't know, bellwether or one of those like North Star movies that you just, this is the epitome of 80s effects to me, like practical effects. Well, I would agree with that i'd say this is the gold standard of a creature feature like this is the gold standard of a monster movie that does all kinds of wacky shit and nothing's off limits because you're not dealing with some, there's no well there is a book but there's no like lore of what the the thing is really like in the original movie you have this kind of frankenstein-y looking thing that just stops around and gets lit, lit on fire and that's fine like that's that's a good movie in its own right, but it's, you know, similar to a movie like The Fly or The Blob that we spoke about in a previous episode, what kind of makes these movies from the 50s real, that got remade again in the 80s kind of really special, and it's kind of what makes that era of the remake not suck, is all these movies took an idea and were able to kind of greatly improve on it and take something that just wasn't able to be accomplished at the time and turn it into something really special and gross and sloppy but neat at the same time like in one swoop i mean there are scenes in this where for example like the autopsy where they find the creature at the at the norwegian camp 
and they bring it back and and Blair, which is Wilford Brimley and Copper is the other doctor, well, one of the other like medical doctors, they're tasked with doing an autopsy on this and they pull like the the dog like thing out of it. And I would, as an actor, even just looking at that, I would be like grossed out. I mean, you look at the thing, the face is all twisted, grotesque. There's multiple faces off the same head and it's stretched out. Like there's just some really just gnarly stuff going on in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite effect in this movie? I think the or one like a favorite scene. Yeah, I think of the, the one that I always remember and instantly think of in this movie is the chest scene where the where oh, Norris the defibrillator. Yeah, Norris is he's dead basically. He starts wigging out and they put him on the table and Copper takes the defibrillator and tries a couple times and the I don't know third time or whatever he goes to put the defibrillator on the chest and it opens up with a mouth. And it bites his arm, his hands sink into the body. The The chest closes, breaks, his, basically severs his arms. And then they light it on fire. He's dying. The head like tilts backwards, drips off the body and sprouts spider legs basically and runs across the floor and gets lit up. Yeah, I mean, that's just like whenever I think about the thing, that specific scene is the one I think about. And I also think a little bit later, the the confrontation, the fight between Palmer, who's like kind of that stoner. Uh, I think he's the other pilot. No. McCready's one pilot. And I think Palmer's the, guy the other that looks one. like Hyde from that 70s show. Yeah. Well, that's windows. Windows is the radio oh, operator yeah. and Palmer is the bike. He has like a, I don't know, like a biker yeah, yeah, yeah. vest on or whatever. That fight where, <laughs> where it's clearly just like a dummy, the guy's like holding a dummy and he's throwing him around that. I like that, that scene too, but I had to, I didn't remember that scene until watching it this time, but the one, like I said, that I always go back to is the chest scene, the the head popping off and running away. The chest scene's my, like, runner-up. I love that scene because it, when his chest opens up and chomps off his hands, this probably says something more, more about me, but I always laugh my ass off at that every time. <laughs> it's, and it's, knowing that it's coming now, it almost makes it like funnier yeah. to me. <laughs> the anticipation. I'm sure the first time I saw, yeah, the first time I saw it, I probably didn't laugh, but the other scene that, the scene that's my favorite scene because it's so simple, but it's such a creepy, weird look. And I, even now, 40 years later, I don't know if I've ever seen a, uh, another scene like this is I always thought the guy they find in the Norwegian camp that's all like cut up and is he's like bled out and stuff and you can see like like the flow of his blood like frozen, oh, frozen uh, yeah. to the chair and stuff. I don't know why I always thought that was just such a cool looking visual and kind of really gives you like and again we mentioned that this movie gives you such a great feel of how cold it is and the where you know the environment and everything. I always like that because it really draws you into how like really just terrible this area is that they're trying to to live in yeah it's like inhospitable yeah and it also gives like a really dark tone to the movie in that up to that point i mean so much of this movie you got to be thinking the first time that you watch it you're just you gotta be like what the hell is going on why is this guy shooting a dog he's just like jumping off a cop helicopter and like firing at people you're trying to piece everything together and then when you see that it just <laughs> almost sinks the movie into like a whole different level. So I always thought that was a really, really cool effect. Yeah. The other one that I like, and it's it's kind of a more simple effect, but it, it similar to the the chest chomp or whatever. It always makes me laugh is when they're doing their tests on the blood, and he's got the the wire, and it's heating up, and he's 
again, I don't know how he deduced this, or I'm not entirely sure how he figured this out, because science, I guess. And yeah, whiskey. scientists. Yeah, and lots of yeah. whiskey. He basically determines that if you try to injure the blood, it's going to try to defend itself, essentially. It's going to escape, or that's how it, yeah. Yeah, it's how it propagates. So all the remaining crew members, there's probably like six of them at this point that are left. You know, they all take like a Petri dish and put some blood in it and he's heating up this wire and scraping you know, it on the Petri dish. It. Yeah. yeah. And they, it, it makes the same sound every time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until it gets to, and I don't remember which character, the name of the character, because I'm bapping names, the one that is the thing. And it just like explodes out of this thing. Like it's like, you remember those old, um, it's probably what it actually was. Those old snake cans that like, oh, yeah. open them, it's like, it's like one Surprise of those can like, or whatever. super powered. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that, like, I know I jumped at that because I was like, hey, these guys are all fine. Like, again, it's it's Carpenter as best. It's tension. And you just, you know, one of these is going to do something crazy at this point, but you're not entirely sure what. And for what the first time I saw it, I remember jumping. And now every time I see it, I just lap my ass off. It's like flubber, yeah. but violent. So. I, th- I think the thing that Carpenter does so well and the thing about this movie that makes it so rewatchable and so memorable and such a classic is that not only is it a horror movie, right? It's a sci-fi movie. So, and those are face value, right? You can tell off the bat, this is a horror movie because it's got the gory stuff. This is a sci-fi movie because we have the alien piece and the spaceship at the beginning of the movie and all that stuff. But the thing that it also incorporates and that you don't see very often and pro- I don't know how many, you know, I'm sure there have been millions of movies made, but I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen another one personally that incorporates basically the very like boiled down version of a whodunit, like a mystery. You know, the first time you watch this movie, there are the characters that you, you don't know who's the thing because it can look like anything. And it, it usually looks like whatever it's imitating and then it becomes something grotesque and disgusting. So you watch it the first time through and like the shadow, who's the shadow? Is It's important oh. to know who the shadow is because that's going to be the person that spreads it. And you go through the movie and you are trying to figure out who is the thing or who isn't the thing. I guess at most point at any time could be who isn't the thing. And then once you see it all the way through, you're like, oh, OK, well, you still don't know what happens. It's still kind of a open ended at the end. And then you can watch it, then you can watch it back through and you can start to make your own assumptions and make your own theories as to, okay, well, I know that this person, I know Palmer, you know, is the thing at some point. I know Norris is the thing and it moves, obviously. They, they're they all the thing at different, well, not all of them, but they different characters are the thing at different parts, like I mentioned. But then you can start to see like, oh, is this is how he transmitted it to this guy. And it's not even a science it's just things that could have gone in, in the background and could it be, tra- is it transmitted by you drinking out of the same bottle? Is it like, is it like COVID? You know, is it just something that floats around in the air? They don't know. So they're trying to figure out all this stuff. I think that's what just makes this movie a classic movie, something that people constantly refer to or they, they're they inspired by it or they go back and watch it because of those elements. Absolutely. You, and the interesting thing about that aspect of this movie, you know, if you compare it to a movie like Scream that we've talked about before, which is another movie that's kind of a whodunit and it has rewatchability even after you've seen it because it's so well done and you're trying to dissect little things here and there that kind of lead you to 
the end of the story. The difference here that makes that this movie so great at, and it's not to say that others aren't, but what makes this one stand out, I don't find myself rooting for any one person to be the thing or not to be the thing. Like, I kind of like the entire cast to an extent. So there's no one that I'm like, yeah, get rid of that motherfucker. I'm ready to see him go. Like, there's no heel in the movie that, you know, even if you're looking at a movie like, again, using Scream as an example, there's characters in that movie when they die, you're like, yeah, that's fine. You know, <laughs> oh, thank you God. Jeez. Right. That's not how it is in this movie. Like, everyone in the, you kind of, like, want everyone to find a way to survive this movie. That's clearly not what happens, but you're you're not rooting against any of the characters, which is kind of unique for this kind of, or any kind of whodunit movie. I did see something that said you can kind of tell who's infected in any given scene because I guess their eyes look blacker. Uh-huh. Than those who are not, like the people who are not infected, I guess have sparkles in their eyes or something. I never watched it that close, and apparently, whenever I've heard that, like I had enough time between hearing that and watching it again that I just forgot or didn't care. Yeah, that's kind of that's subjective. I'd that'd be kind of curious to go through. I got a copy that has commentary by different people, and I wanted to watch through. It's a Kurt Russell and Carpenter commentary throughout the entire I've heard thing. that's a, 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 like one of the better commentaries of any film ever. I think that's one of the downfalls of modern kind of streaming stuff, is that maybe there are alternate tracks or whatever that you can listen to, but that's one thing I, I never really took advantage of. I still don't take advantage of it enough, but I think that's something that I think we lose a lot of when, when DVDs were new and Blu-rays and stuff, it was like, oh, let's fit out and let's, instead of you watching the same old VHS, let's give you something to watch. And I think that that's probably something we're missing out on because of the current streaming culture, but I got to go back and listen to that. I'd, I'd be interested to hear all the different things. I mean, just from the five minutes that I watched the commentary, the opening title sequence where the, the thing burns onto the screen, the, the title card. It's yeah. like an exact replica of the 1950-whatever movie and just stuff like that. They talk about the hat, McCready's hat, and yeah. it's it's an interesting watch and listen. I should go back and watch that again. Speaking of that, the original, I love, again, just little things about it shows how much Carpenter loves this movie. Like, if you go back to Halloween, that's they're watching the original movie in Halloween on that you know, little black and white TV before Michael shows up and fucks up the movie. It's all going so even, well. Well, even if you go into Halloween Ends, which came out last year, everyone's favorite character, Corey, is watching the thing with the kid before he puts him to bed. Well, perfect bedtime movie. So, I mean, it's kind of cool to see, like, how much that this movie or this content, whether it's his version of the movie or the original work, it clearly means a lot to Carpenter, so I think it's kind of cool that it's, like, peppered in throughout his entire, well, maybe not his entire, but a lot of his filmography. The other thing that kind of sets this movie apart from a lot of Carpenter movies is the score, because there's parts of this movie where the score very clearly sounds like your general or typical John Carpenter score. You know, it's got that synthy, kind of dark, minimal, ominous tone stuff, but I'll probably screw this guy's name up because I always screw his name was up. Was it Ennio uh, Morricone? Yeah, him. Yeah. I was I was going to ask. I, I now, now that you mentioned that, I remembered seeing his name. Is this one of the first times Carpenter did a movie where he didn't do the music? I believe it is the first where he did. I, I could be wrong about that. But, I mean, again, he's obviously got influence on it or 
he probably went into the studio and dicked around a little bit and that's how you got some of those synthy tones but i i kind of love the score in this for a carpenter movie because it's very 1950s horror movie sounding in a lot of it which i mean of all the things that carpenter's good at one of the things that he's probably best at is knowing when to leave something alone and let someone who's right for this job just do it instead of taking over and I'm John Carpenter. I need to overlord over this. You know, well, that type of thing. Going back to the soundtrack, it does, like I said before, you mentioned that it was Morricone or Morricone. I, th- I don't know which one. I'm not Italian. I think it's Morricone. I'm not Italian. That sounds right. But you can tell even just from it. Yeah. You got to move your hand like you're, <laughs> you're talking with your hands a lot. But you can tell that even though it's not a Carpenter score, he clearly had influence on it. I mean, it sounds... A little bit more refined than Carpenter. I think the thing about Carpenter when he does a score, it's very minimal, but it also is gritty and it's not perfect. You know, like stuff necessarily doesn't always fall in time. Whereas, and he almost plays that. He does play that to his favor. Yes, in a lot of cases. Yeah, but go ahead. I, I well, that's really you. all I had. I'd, I'd really like to see him in concert when he comes around. I don't know if he's still doing it. I know he was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I I don't know. The top to bottom, this movie is just. So solid again. If you haven't seen this movie for some reason, we we just ruined it for you. I don't you know if we actually anyway. really did though. I think we were really reserved. I don't think we gave away too much, and I think that's a good thing. If you haven't seen this movie, if you are a follower of the podcast, I would definitely advise to watch it. Even if like sci-fi horror, like you got to be prepared. It's gonna it's a little gory, and like we said, if you're not in the right state of mind, it can be maybe a little troubling. But um, if you're not in the right state of mind, it could also enhance the movie quite yeah, a bit. Well, it just kind of depends on you. You'd be hiding under your under your couch or something. But I, I love that this movie has. I don't know. Have you ever seen the sequel? The the one that came was ninety nine or early two thousands, late nineties. I think it was early two thousands. I saw it. I saw it in the theater. Oh wow! I think I saw it once at home. Well, I, I worked in a movie theater when it came oh, okay. out, so I got to see stuff for free. But I remember being less than impressed with it. But. I, I probably should watch it again yeah. at some point, just because I think a lot of... I, I remember being younger, and I know in my head, younger, I'm like, fuck you, you're a remake, you suck. I was like, now I'm looking back, I'm like, well, this was a remake. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I gave it a fair shot. I was just going to mention that there's a movie, and I think I mentioned to you to, this to you beforehand, there's a movie called Harbinger Down, and it is... So in, in 2010, the Amalgamated Dynamics, I, I don't know, they... I'm just reading out of Wikipedia because it's much more concise than I would be. They were hired by Universal Studios to create the practical effects for the 2011. Okay, so 2011, the thing prequel. But before it was released, majority of the effects were replaced. So they did a bunch of practical effects, right? Universal replaced it digitally. And the Amalgamated Dynamics special effects studio was so just upset about it that they decided that they were going to make their own kind of version of the movie. That's my understanding. And they kickstarted this movie, Harbinger Down, stars, the big stars, the ones that you would recognize, or the one that you would recognize, is Lance Henriksen. And uh, I'm just kind of interested to see that, to see both of them, you know, to see the actual the actual prequel and then see this just to see how they match up. I just thought that was really interesting that someone, that a studio was already making all the stuff and they got pissed because their work got overdone and they're like, you know what? We're just going to make our own movie. I think that's, that's amazing. It says the film's in-story events open on June 25th, 1982, which was the release date of John Carpenter's The Thing. I read recently this week too, that they're working on either another remake, reboot, or even possibly like a mini series about this. I think a mini series would be super cool. Like if you got that in the right hands, whether it's through, I would love to see it on HBO or something because they seem like they do better than 
most places with this, this type of content. But the idea of doing this is like a, I don't know if I want to, it, 10 episodes might be too long, yeah. but like, like a limited series, like a three or a yeah, six. Like a three, four episode type thing. I thought that I, I was like, that could be really cool if done. Well, obviously if done right, that should go without saying. I would but, love to see something that would be like in the vein of Chernobyl. Like, did you see Chernobyl on HBO? No, I, I knew of it, but I didn't get around to it. I never watched yeah, it. Yeah, you should watch that. That's a, that's top, top notch, like top flight. I would love to see. I, I think the guy that directed that, I believe is doing, he has something to do with Last of Us too. So that would be, that'd be a cool story for some up and comer to pull off. That'd be pretty cool. Do I get the hot dogs on this one? Yeah, I don't really think there's two. I mean, we could go in, infinitely and, and kind of go through the points in this movie. Did we have a lot, any more comments from Twitter that you wanted to highlight? No, the one, I, again, most of the comments were praising. primarily just praising this movie. Yeah. And and that's great. Like, I, I, I can't really argue that. Like, I think we haven't said too much of anything bad about this movie, so I think we're going to be pretty similar yeah. on that as far as where we end up there. I do have one thing I w- want to wrap around to, but we'll do that after Hot Dogs, just because it kind of ties back to our episode of The Blob. Okay. But go ahead, lead us off on Hot Dogs for the week. All right. Well, I would give this an... I think this might be even kind of low. I'm kind of teetering on the edge. But what I've decided is I'm going to give it eight and a half arm-biting chests out of 11 hot dogs. And some of this I've already mentioned before, but this is the ultimate film about paranoia. You, you don't know who to trust. You don't know who's the next to be infected or if somebody's already infected. It's got this remote location. The players are really limited. There's, there's no one from outside of this group at this research facility that are going to be able to interfere. And like I said, it's 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 almost like a whodunit mixed with horror and sci- science fiction. I don't feel like the movie really moves slow at all. I think the, the pacing is what you need to keep it going with a, a, a cast of this size. I mean, it's not a huge cast, but it's not small either. I think it's, what, about 10 people? And they all... 10 or 12, Yeah, you know like who that. all the characters are, and I think that's really kind of cool to have a small cast like this and be, oh, that's Windows. He's the the radio operator guy that's this guy who takes care of the dogs this is the pilot the pilots this is the cook stuff like that i think the first time you watch it you you take it at face value and once you know the gimmick that they're kind of pushing you'll you'll want to watch it again with a closer eye to to try and figure it out like you would a murder mystery and i think the the best thing about murder mysteries is that they're written in a way that you won't figure it out there's always some kind of thing that happens and you're like, oh, I didn't see that. Well, that's that's the way it's that's the way those movies are written. I feel like this movie's kind of written the same way. I think if you try and pick it apart to to try and make it logical, you're you're going to probably end up disappointed because the dots won't always connect, but they connect in the background. And and you won't know what they are until they're revealed at the end, even if you explicitly look. I think this is probably my favorite Carpenter movie, one of my favorite kind of sci-fi horror movies. It's just it's it's just a really it's a work of art. I mean, there's just so much stuff that goes on in this movie that is admirable and and it's I'm glad to see that there are still movies that are inspired by the ideas and 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 the concepts that are in this movie. It's it has a really lasting legacy. So we're we're in uh, lockstep as far as the score. I also give it eight and a half hot dogs out of ten blood flubbers. <laughs> Honestly, uh, the things I really love about this movie. I mean, it's it is a game changer movie. It lives up to all the hype. It is one of the movies that I can put on, and I know I'm always going to have a good time with it, no matter what state of mind I'm in, no matter what brings me to it. It's, you know, 
It's got one of my all-time favorite actors in it and one of my favorite roles that he's done, which makes it easy to go back to. I, the supporting cast is so good in it, and every single thing about this movie, there's really nothing in it that I could say on a personal standpoint that I would find as a negative on it. So it's, it just works on that. The thing that's weird for me is as much as that sounds like it's, oh, this is a perfect movie, and it probably is my favorite sci-fi movie as far as that type of thing goes, but it's weird. Like, I will go years between watching this movie. Like, I've watched it twice this week, just kind of freshening up for, for this episode. But I don't remember the last time I watched this before. It's been a while. And I don't know that that's necessarily negative. I mean, it's kind of good sometimes to have, you know, it lets it breathe between times that you sit down and put it on. And that way it doesn't get stale or anything. I'm, I guess I'm in the minority that I wouldn't say this is my favorite Carpenter movie. I still prefer Halloween over this one for similar reasons, actually. Like, I feel like that movie also drags like this one or any Carpenter movie. It just kind of pulls me into the environment that he's created. And I guess I just like that environment a little bit more for some reason, for better or worse. But again, there's really no downside to this movie. If you, I feel like if you like any of the crap that we've talked about leading up to this episode this is probably a movie that if you somehow haven't seen it you absolutely should sit down and probably watch it not once but twice once to kind of take it in and then the second time to kind of like you said dissect it and pick it apart and see what things you like if you're someone who feels like effects get dated looking this movie is going to look probably very 80s to you that's a positive to me i know that's a positive to you absolutely but that's the only thing i could say that I could see how someone might say, like, well, this looks like it's 40 years old. Well, it is. Yes. Um, every every day of it. Again, for what this movie did just for the genre as far as, like, effect movies in general, it's it's in that tier with, like, the original Dawn of the Dead, American Werewolf in London, those types of movies that really pushed effects to their next step. This one's right up there with the, with the greats in that, so... You can't really take anything away from it on that. So it, it's a great one. Which brings me around to, again, we mentioned this in the blob. We were saying that that movie is one of the best remakes of all time. And I paused in that episode because I was like, well, there's one notable movie that's sticking out in my head that kind of stands out. Do you think this is the best remake movie of all time? Or is there one that maybe sticks out more? Or like, how do you, where do you land on that? On the spot. I mean, I haven't seen the original Blob either, but I feel like... I wouldn't even compare it to the originals, just saying the quality of this movie, oh, knowing yeah. that it's a remake. I I don't know, That's you're putting me on the spot. I mean, I, like I said, I really like the Blob. I thought that that... That was the goal. Yeah. Well, thanks. I don't have an answer for you, so <laughs> how you like them apples? I don't know, but it is, it's, it's one of, it's gotta be up there. It's gotta be top five, for sure. Oh, for sure. I, I think it's... Top three. I think it's biggest, like, I think it's top two. I think it's marginally better than the blob. And I think that's just because I think the horror elements in this are executed way better than they are in the, like the blob. As much as we both love that movie, it is sillier than this yes, movie. Yes, it is. Um, this is serious through and through. I mean, there are some little bits of humor, but they're like sarcasm right. and, and it's just the way the characters or are. inappropriate humor yeah. if you're me. Yeah. So, where the blob is, is silly and there are a couple scenes of the blob specifically and think of when they're in the sewer and the things behind them and it's does not look great yeah. you know i mean both are enjoyable but like if we're saying i don't remember what i said the blob was as far as on our hot dog scale but i mean you're talking like half a point difference between the two probably yeah um, well i think the thing with the blob too is that and the major difference between the blob and the thing is that 
the blob, the thing is a known commodity. People revere mm-hmm. the, the thing. It's something that people like they we how many comments did we have of people saying that they love this movie? There wasn't really much criticism. You just mentioned it Double a few digits, minutes ago. I don't remember. Right. Yeah. If you ask the people, if you ask people about the blob, they probably wouldn't have an opinion or you'd get very like diehard people. It is a criminal, the blob, the difference between the blob and the thing is the blob is a criminally underrated horror movie, an eighties like special effects kind of horror movie. So it, it, looking at it in that respect, I, I, I don't know. I think the thing is a better movie, but I think the, the blob is more fun, <laughs> arguably well, sure. more fun. Sure. So that's, the, but I think they're both top for me, probably top five remakes just off the top of my head. I couldn't give you the, the list of the other three or put them in any kind of order, but that would be my like off the cuff answer. Okay. No, I'll take that. I already said that I prefer this over the plot. It, for me, it really comes down to, unless you start getting into the whole like separate generation reboots, like the stuff you've seen from 2000 and later. Yeah. These two are like the apex of them, in my opinion. And again, I think the thing stands out just by being the all around better executed movie. And in all honesty, that probably comes down to John Carpenter being the difference as much as anything else. Yeah, the X Factor. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to be just as happy to throw on the blob and kind of chuckle at that <laughs> on any given yeah Saturday evening. Which one so. do you laugh harder at, the blob or the thing? You, personally. Uh, depends on my state of mind. Probably the blob in general. Okay. That's kind of what so. I expect you to say. And there's, there's days where it might be the thing. I don't know. I'm weird. One last thing I wanted to mention is the artwork for this movie, the poster, the original poster oh. and the updated ones. Perfect. Like it's the silhouette or the figure. I mean, it's not so much a silhouette because you can't see some detail, but kind of with arms stretched or arms down and the face is just lit up. You can't see what the face is. And I think that's that's uh-huh. like a perfect embodiment of the story of this movie. You're afraid of something, but you don't know what it is. You don't know who it is. And that's that's kind of what I feel like this the the artwork for this kind of wraps that up. This movie has so many, like, great secondary market posters, too. Like, oh, just sure. all the... If you just go in and want to have, like, a fun afternoon of the image search, just the thing, fan art, you get all kinds of really cool stuff. But, anyway, we're we're babbling at this point. That's kind of what we do. That's the point. It's a podcast. Again, like you said, we probably go on for hours about this movie, and I don't, I don't want to do that. I think we're going to wrap it here. In the meantime, though, again... Look forward to after this, we're going to have crummy movie March. So you got four D tier movies coming up to follow this A tier movie. Follow us on all the social networks. We'll we'll ask you about them. I don't know if you'll have anything to say about them like you did this movie. But we're at Dewey Pond Monster all over the place. And uh, leave us feedback, whether it's on there or on the socials or on our website at crap.town. And more importantly, follow Sean. Go ahead. Oh, tell him where to follow turn. you. You can find, well, I wanted to tease this thing. One of the movies we're going to watch and the one that I think may just break John is barely, I don't know. It's barely barely even, yes, it's barely a movie. So anyways, with that all being said, you can find me at youtube.drafttherapy.com. I do talk about Michigan craft beer. John and I have started a series where we're going out and doing interviews at different places. So you get to kind of start seeing other breweries, well, not other breweries, but breweries in their natural habitat around the state. You can find me on all the social media at Draft Therapy. That's right. We're doing stuff. Anyway, we have some other stuff coming up, too, that you might find interesting. So we're just going to leave that as a tease for right now. But we look forward to Crummy Movie March. And, yeah, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers.
50. Yay. My mouth's turned off. God damn, guys. <laughs> so there's a fucking trampoline up there. Hey, shit happens. So. Do you hear that? Actually, I do. <laughs> Sounds like they just came through the ceiling. 